Welcome to the program, Speaking Out America. I'm JR. Good to have you here. It's already Monday. Can't believe it. And on the podcast also, want to thank the folks over at CRNTalk.com for giving us a countrywide distribution. And on the internet, TalkStream Live. And then, of course, the website, which is SpeakingOutAmerica.com. And lots to talk about in this hour. We'll play some old clips from great classic Oscar movies that I love. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, it was a big event. Probably a better Oscars Academy Award presentation in a long time. So we've got some interesting perspectives there. Uh, also want to talk about the movie uh, Everywhere, Everything, Anything, All at Once, I think is what it's... My wife and I watched it on Saturday night. We had Saturday night date night. So we were kind of curious to see what that movie was all about. And then also the big banks fell over the weekend. And uh, it wasn't widely reported, but I have some interesting takes on what it means and what we can expect, perhaps, uh, if we continue on this path. Because there are lessons to be learned from the Silicon Valley Bank default. And we'll talk about that. And then maybe perhaps a little bit later on, I want to bounce around some things about the problems I'm having right now with ideological purity and what it means. And pit it against or against the context of racial purity. Let's talk about what ideological purity is really all about. So... Over the weekend, let's get to the Oscars. And we'll get to that uh, because I do want to talk about it. I also want to play some old clips from some of the past Oscar-winning movies. And just sort of a commentary on the, the current state of movies. So we'll get to that. And, and I just have to tell you up front, I, am, I was talking again to my wife yesterday about this. And we did not... Uh, we did not, we don't go to the movies as much as we used to, you know. It used to be, I think, for a lot of people, going to the movies every week was a pretty big deal. There was always a good movie to see. Now, not so much. COVID kind of killed it in a big way. You know, I remember working at a movie theater a long time ago. It was one of my first jobs and probably one of my favorite jobs. And there was class back then. You know, we wore uniforms and uh, it was a very, it, it, I could see how in the old days, movies were really a prestigious event. And, uh, and, and it isn't that way anymore. And, and I think part of that is because of the people that have infected Hollywood. Obviously, we can, I'm not going to surprise you by saying that Hollywood has gone woke. But we do have to look at what that is causing. And it's ruining everything. Woke ruins everything. This equity-based society, uh, I don't know, maybe my wife is right and I'm just a racist, but I don't feel that I was a racist when I was growing up. I mean, my definition of racism is when you judge somebody solely based on the way they look without having ever spoken to a person or you know, you, let's say you're a grocery store. I think there's different levels of racism, really. There's the casual drive-by racist who happens to look at everybody uh, with a little suspicion. I guess that would be me. I guess I'm a drive-by racist. You know, because they always say perception is reality, right? You know, first impressions go a long way. So when you see someone, let's say, interview for a job or come into your store, 
You look at the kind of clothes they wear, if their hair is combed, do they smell, right? That's what you do. You judge people. We all judge people. I guess when they come in with purple hair and they have a ring in their nose and you think it's a guy, but it could be a woman. And because you notice this, you're the problem. If you don't notice it, you're the problem. There's no winning in this situation. I'm not, I'm not being facetious. It's true. You know, for example, I got my hair cut on Saturday and I go to the same place that I've been going. God knows why. I, I just, I like things to be normal. To me, uh, I, if, even if they have a different person cutting hair every week, I'll still go to the same place because it's in the same neighborhood. It's in the same spot. I know what they're going to charge me. Generally speaking, I'll get a decent haircut and the conversation will be good. You know, the conversation will be easy going and they got big screen TVs with, uh, you know, sports going on. So if nobody's talking, that's okay too. And the last couple of times I've gotten my hair cut by, I think, is a lesbian. I mean, I don't want to judge, but she looks kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, dikey to me. But see, that's a term that I am used to using because in my growing up and in knowing lesbians, that was the word they used. Now we, we, we're not allowed to use that word anymore. But, you know, during the course of our conversation, she mentioned that she had a partner, not a husband, but a partner. Now, the interesting thing is <clears throat> I'm not altogether sure it was a woman. It could have been a man, could have been a, a guy that was transitioning. I don't know. But it, there comes a point as a drive-by racist where you just don't really want to give that much thought to it. Anyway, I, I don't have any particular reason to sit there and, and, and try to think of what, why does it matter to me what this person is? It doesn't matter. What does matter is the quality of the conversation, the person with whom you're speaking, what they're about. Are they friendly? Are they nice? Are they um, cordial? Do they treat me with respect? Are they, I had more in common. I found at, at the, at the, at the end of the haircut, I actually had more in common with this person. I thought I even said, boy, you're like my sister. You know, we, we agree on everything. We grew up in the same time period. She looked a little younger than me, but she knew all the, the music that I grew up with. And we both sort of exchanged what we were into when we were young and just that it was an amazing conversation. Now I wouldn't have had that conversation if I was a true racist or a xenophobe or or any of those other labels that they slap on you. But for some reason, a, the dilemma for most people, I think, is we're told it shouldn't matter what a person's sexuality or their whatever their their identity is. It should not matter to us who they choose to be. Live and let live. Let them do their thing. But if you don't let it matter to the point where you notice, like if you don't notice them and you speak to them as you would normally speak to a male or a female, they can get offended at that. Or again, I'll give you another, <clears throat> I'll give you another example. So I'm standing in line at the taco fest and these two young men are standing in front of me on Sunday and it's a very long line and it's not moving altogether too fast, but we're standing there. There's music and I'm kind of listening in. I'm not eavesdropping, but I'm, they're right in front of me so I can hear pretty much everything they're saying to each other. 
One man is an African-American and another man is a white man, both about 20, 22, maybe. African-American is talking in a language and in a style that you would normally associate with young African-American men. The white guy's doing it too. He's talking in the same kind of, you know, uh, hip hop, uh, rap kind of, there's a certain, I don't want to say eubonics because that's an old word, but it's just, and I thought if I was black, I would be offended that this other guy who is clearly white is talking to me like he's me. Isn't that appropriations? Isn't that what we were told was appropriations? When you adopt someone else's, and I've talked to African-American friends of mine, and they, they say that a lot of white guys do that. If, you're, if a white guy is in a group with a bunch of African-Americans, then the white guy will start to, and it's the same thing if you go to Texas or if you're around a bunch of people that have a, have a Southern accent. Sometimes you might kind of let your guard down and you're just trying to, I don't know, fit in, adopt, chameleon. I don't think it's meant with malice. I don't think anybody's doing it to make fun of or uh, satirize the other person. But it's it's notice, don't notice. You know, you're supposed to notice, but you're not supposed to notice. You're supposed to notice that they have green hair, but you're not supposed to say anything. You're supposed to notice that they have some weird thing on their face or they're full up on tattoos. That's another thing. Where are all these people getting tattoos? I'd never noticed when I was young that so many people had tattoos, but it is the thing now. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm living on New Zealand with the Maui's, you know, the Maori's, sorry. <clears throat> but um, so there you go. I mean, it was a, a fairly eventful weekend, but to cap it all off, I watched the Academy Awards last night with my wife and Again, we had watched that movie that everywhere, anywhere, all at once. And uh, and we both had trouble sort of figuring it out because it was so well done and it was particularly well directed. And there's no, no taking away from the uh, great cinematography and the writing and the acting and the uh, the performers I had seen before. The, the one guy, the main male character. He was Indy. Remember the little kid in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? He was uh, the little guy with the baseball cap. Uh, and then also the grandfather was played by the man who was who had a great role in War of the Worlds. Uh, was it War of the Worlds or no? It was uh, uh, Dark, uh, the day the Earth stood still, with Keanu Reeves. He plays the alien in the McDonald's, talking about how much he loves humanity. Great actor. Uh, and I don't recall where I've seen the, the, the main star and I don't think I've seen the young actress either, but again, we watched it. We loved it. We were enjoying ourselves. Uh, but then something strange happened as we were watching the pre Oscar show, everything about the movie had everything to do with racism. Like this was the story of the Asian experience. You know, everything was about that. Everything was about the fact that it portrayed aliens, uh, Ill- illegal immigrants, uh, people of Asian descent. By the way, I was informed is the new way to address people who are from Asia, people of Asian descent. So anyway, it, it suddenly turned into another preachy, and it, I think it took away from the greatness of the movie. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Plus, great Oscar moments coming up here on Speaking Out America.
Yep, welcome back. Speaking out, we'll go around in circles. The man. The fifth Beatle. I love Billy Preston. Yeah, so anyway, just a kind of a final thought on this, because I, I do want to get to the bank story, and there's some other things coming up. And don't forget, you can always touch me at your my uh, e uh, my email address, which is speakingoutamerica at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments about the program or anything you'd like to uh, discuss, I'm here for you. And, you know, I am a lover of movies. I love movies. As a boy going to the theater in my neighborhood, was Escape City, and it was, I didn't know it at the time, but during the 70s and the 80s, those were the, what John Nolte of Breitbart calls the golden years of true cinema. And there were some real doozies. I mean, 17 years old, this movie came out, got nominated for a whole ton of awards. Buck Henry wrote it along with another man, Warren Beatty. Remember this one? Mr. Pendleton, you know where you are, don't you? I want you to look at me and listen very carefully to what I'm saying. Yeah? This is not a dream. Are you trying to tell me I'm not supposed to be here? But you are here. Well, you guys made a mistake. There is no mistake. Well, anybody can make a mistake. That had a lot of great actors in it. James Mason, the late James Mason, Buck Henry, and, of course, Warren Beatty, who was the uh, everybody's... Everybody's uh, man, the every man, and Heaven Can Wait, the movie. I think it won five awards. I think it was nominated for seven, and it was hilarious. It was a great movie. It's one of those movies. See, that's the demarcation: is would you see it again? If it's on TV, will you watch it again? There are some movies that are like that. You know what? What didn't do well at the Oscars last night was the Elvis movie. I don't think it won. Did it win anything? I have to check. Maybe it won something. But to me, that and maybe Maverick were kind of panned, you know. Uh, but who can forget this great, great movie? Get off my lawn. Listen, old man, you don't want to f*** with me. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. You crazy? Go back in the house. Yeah. I blow a hole in your face and then I go in the house. And I sleep like a baby. You can count on that. From Grand Torino, remember? Good old, um, uh, you know, you, you see, Clint Eastwood knew how to tell a story. And in every movie, The Mule, The Mexican, the boxing film, uh, the Grand Torino, even back to the days of Dirty Harry, he learned that movies have to be entertaining. That's the, the only reason most people go... They don't go to learn a moral lesson, although we'll take one if it's delivered well. Like, here's here's a great clip from, again, one of these movies that you stop and you want to watch because they're so cool. And every line of dialogue is perfectly written and perfectly executed. And this movie, even though a lot of people complained that it won so many awards, including Best Picture... They said, oh, it was so slow. It was so boring. It's like, no, there's a story within a story within a story in this one. And the, and the moral lessons uh, are, are pretty profound. Here's, here's Clint Eastwood. It don't seem real. I ain't going to never breathe again, ever. That was dead. And the other one, too. All on account of pulling the trigger. It's a hell of a thing, killing a man. Take away all he's got. 
hell is ever gonna happen. Yeah. Well, I guess they had it coming. We all have it coming, kid. That might be my favorite line in the movie. We all have it coming, kid. There's another line later in, in the end where he says, uh, I'll see you in hell. And the other guy, uh, it ain't about deserving. We all deserve it. It's just those kind of deep moral lessons. Uh, and also, if you noticed at the awards last night, there were not a lot of like, well, all the big stars were there, but they're kind of old. You know, Robert Blake died last week from Beretta, 89, I think. And what was in, you know, everybody in that room is within earshot of 89. You know, where, where, where are all the Robert De Niro's and the, uh, were they there? Did, you see, did anybody see Meryl Streep last night? Maybe she was there. I can't honestly say I was watching that closely. But again, here's another great movie that I'm old enough to remember. Perhaps you are as well. Uh, just stock full of some of the best stars. Christopher Walken, Robert De Niro, Meryl Streep. Man, the name just goes on and on and on. And, and here's a great clip from Deer Hunter. Every time he comes up, he's got no knife, he's got no jacket, he's got no pants, he's got no boots. Oh, he's got that stupid gun he carries around like John Wayne. <laughs> that ain't gonna help you. Oh, what the hell, Mike? Give him the boots. No way, I ain't giving him no boots. No more, no more. That's it. And then he goes on to say, this is this, the bullet. Great. And, and again, another great moral lesson. Three-hour movie. I swear that wedding must have been in real time. And then who can forget this? What I still watch every time. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Every time I see it on, even if it's the last 10 minutes, I'll watch it because it's just that kind of a movie. You do have a name. My name is Gladiator. How dare you show your back to me? Slave! You'll remove your helmet and tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. That's a good one. <clears throat> is it Russell Crowe said that the reason you pay me so much is because I know how to deliver those lines. And he's right. Still one of the greatest, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, great performance. And then, of course, the short uh, Richard Harris performance playing Marcus Aurelius, who I came to learn later uh, has some of the best writings of humanity. If you ever want to read Meditations, it's it's not an easy read, but boy, it's packed with just one profound statement after another. Uh, and what's nice about that movie, Gladiator, it is sort of loosely based on real events, which is, but again, all of those movies are really, what are they about? They're just, they're great moral lessons. They're entertainment. They take us out of our own life. But the movie that won the best picture, I'll, I'll make a couple of comments because number one, I thought it was a great picture. And number two, I didn't think anything about the racial component until somebody pointed that out to me. Uh, and, and I, again, the ideological purity thing has got to go, you know, why do we all have to assign uh class struggle and all these other struggles to a movie that otherwise was perfectly free of that preachy virtuous signal, uh, 
craziness that they just keep inflicting on us. And this is why these movies, now I probably will never want to watch this movie again. Because now every time I think about it, I'll be looking at it from the perspective of a person on the left who simply wants to look at things from a class, race, sex, gender prism. And I don't want to go there. It's just we have to stop doing that. We're all victims. That's the whole point of these movies, you know. Clint Eastwood, it's not about deserving. We all are equal in the eyes of God. And whatever happens to us, we simply have to deal with it. And I think that's what makes for a great movie when that kind of a lesson is echoed. Enough is that. We'll get to the bank story in just a moment. Some perspectives and lessons to be learned. Speaking out America, JR, stay tuned. So the big bank blowout, everybody kind of on pins and needles over the weekend because we weren't sure to what extent the bailout or if there would be a bailout. And we're going to look over here and, and see what the stock market looks like. When I checked it earlier, it was down about 200. What is it now? What are we looking at? Uh, you know, the secretary of the treasury came out yelling on Sunday, I believe it was, and said that they were not intending to bail out. All right. Well, we're a little up on the market right now, but it was, uh, it's bounced back to almost 400 points from this morning. But the, uh, Yellen had said, we're not going to bail out this group. Uh, this is not, this is not systemic of, of banks in general. This is a very specific group. There were specific account holders who withdrew $42 billion, $42 billion, uh, a run on the bank. So, and then they're, obviously they don't have that tapped them out so they had to start selling bonds bonds that they knew they were going to have to take a loss on just to cover the rest of the deposits that they have still in the bank and for those who are holding roku how is roku doing today i hold a little bit of it but i don't i'm not too worried about it because they put out a good product see and and where i'm going with this let me see if i can find out how roku Share, you know, they're not going to go bankrupt. Then there was a rumor that Elon Musk was thinking of buying it, thinking it was a good. See, Roku's up sixty. That's up. That's three three dollars higher than it was Friday. So, I don't think it's going to have a reverberation on the market. But I will tell you this: there is a lesson to be learned on this, because what we are seeing is what happens when you try to churn a profit by being virtuous. That's the problem. That is the problem. They were a bank that was run by a bunch of, of snowflakes, really. And Matt Vespa of Town Hall really captured it well. I'll read it. I'll share this with you. Uh, it says, top executives for Silicon Valley Bank's UK branch spent a lot of time pushing wokeism. He writes, if this is the case, then this bank deserves to fail. The whole operation warranted going up in flames because no one knew how to do their jobs. Silicon Valley Bank is no more. Its keys taken from them by California officials who then turned them over to the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. It was a go-to institution, the bank, to get loans for tech startups, 
a sector that's taken a beating on Wall Street. And it doesn't bode well since most of these ventures don't profit from the outset, which means more cash injections and lines of credit. And then he summarizes, SVB was super exposed to fluctuations in the tech market, which led to massive losses. A call for new capital to be raised to cover the losses and sheer panic among its customer bases. There was a run on the bank, leading to its failure, the second largest in American history. There was no risk assessment officer for eight months. Eight months. No different at the bank's United Kingdom branch, where its risk uh, assessment executive spent more time worrying about creating safe spaces and pushing woke extracurricular activities. Might as well not even have a corporate officer. A risk assessment officer is the one who looks at risk assessment. Someone wants to come in, borrow a billion dollars for a startup or get, get a loan. Someone has to evaluate that and say, okay, do we think that that has a good chance of success or failure? But if all you're thinking about is ESG and DIE, where are you making profit? Uh, this uh, The UK head of risk management, and Matt Vespa points this out, this is uh, symptomatic of what's happening in a lot of these institutions, including the ones that are running the hedge funds in New York. And the way that they're pressuring corporations like Nike and uh, just think, anybody you can think of, Hershey. Think about what Hershey did last week with their uh, celebration of a transgender male. So they're going to take a lot of heat for that. They're going to lose a, a fair bit of their profit. And what did they do it for? They did it to appease the woke ideology, that ideological purity I was talking about. It's not enough to accept. It's not even enough to agree. You have to show your support. This is what DIE is about. Hiring particular people to handle a particular job, not because they're particularly good at it, but because they have the right skin color or they check off a certain box or they they are somewhere on the tree of oppression. And it doesn't accomplish anything. It doesn't increase profitability. It's like a lot of these movies that Disney has put out have been tanks. They've tanked because they're trying to achieve some goal, a virtuous goal of raising education or raising awareness of certain issues, even if the people don't want it. And this is where we get into these. And ESG is particularly harmful because it's basically asking anybody who has a business to prove that they are not harming the environment and they have to spend a lot of money with all kinds of research and do all kinds of surveys and get all kinds of reports and they have to submit these and then they have to wait. It's almost like they're getting approval from a, a higher authority that can then dictate whether or not they're worthy to play in the sandbox. And that is basically, and it's all under the guise of, you know, climate justice or social justice or whatever it is, social justice, climate justice, gender justice, and it's all about justice. But who's justice? The justice of the people who are in charge, the ideological purists. And, and these are the same people that in Germany or in Russia, they were marginalizing a subset of people to the exclusion of. You get where I'm going with this? To the exclusion of. 
So, for example, if if you're a, a, a cert certifying, I'm not even sure who it is that certifies ESG. I think it's the people who loan you the money. You have to follow a certain standard, or the government has certain standards that you have to follow. And if you don't follow them, they're not going to give you the credentials you need in order to perform. You're not going to get that good housekeeping, that good planet-keeping seal of approval. Uh, in the movie industry, it ends up producing flop movies that lose money for the stockholders. Or it creates issues because you have a lot of homosexual-laced themes now, and that's causing parents who used to trust Disney to look elsewhere for their entertainment. So that has a negative impact on the stockholders. And the stockholders are not in there to make uh, virtue signals. They're in there to make a profit on their money. That's what. That's why I invest in the stock. If Roku all of a sudden came out and said today that starting tomorrow they're going to have an LGBTQ channel and it's going to be aimed at children, raising awareness with children, I as a stockholder now have to make a decision. Do I like that idea? Do I like the direction? Doesn't matter whether I'm right or wrong. The fact is, is I'm going to make. I'm going to vote with my money. Uh, unfortunately, in this day and age. People are being extorted into the position of accepting the ideological purity, just like they were in World War, pre-World War II Germany when the Germans were looking for racial purity. Anybody who didn't fit the racial purity was to be excluded, to the exclusion of. It wasn't that they were being punished. They were just being cordoned off, and they couldn't have access. And This is what we saw during the COVID outbreak when people were getting vaccinated. The people that weren't getting vaccinated were being cordoned off. They were being told they were dangerous. They could kill you. This is what, what it means to have ideological purity. It means you can create all kinds of boundaries and all kinds of circles and all kinds of safety zones for people and put them in those nice little safety zones. So to me, asking the big question, let's take a look at that movie. Everything, something all at once. Did it win all those awards because it was a way for us to give thanks to the, the people of Asian descent? Is that why they won all those awards? Because we wanted to make sure that they felt good. We wanted to give them that affirmation that they need because it's all about that affirmation. Possibly. We'll never know. Was it based on merit or virtue? Good news to report. Um, I should tell you that Biden, I don't know, it's a little bit confusing, so let me see if I can sort this out. This comes by way of Reuters. Uh, currently, U.S. President Joe Biden's administration will approve a major and controversial oil drilling project in Alaska on Monday, according to a source familiar with the matter. The decision to move ahead with the project by authorizing three drill sites in northwestern Alaska would come a day after Biden announced sweeping curbs on oil and gas leasing to protect up to 16 million acres of water and land in the region. The Willow Project, led by energy giant ConocoPhillips, 
will be located inside the National Petroleum Reserve, Alaska. It is a 23 million acre area on the nation on the state's north slope that is the largest tract of undisturbed public land in the United States. And the reason is because it's below it's above the Arctic Circle and it's colder than hell. And nothing really goes on. You might see, you know, maybe some migrating moose once in a while. The project announced in 2017 in January is expected to produce 600 million barrels of oil equivalent over its life, peaking at 180,000 barrels of oil per day. According to ConocoPhillips, on Sunday, the U.S. Interior Department unveiled actions. This is where it gets confusing because now Biden is moving forward with releasing three drill sites on the North Slope. But by the same token, the U.S. Interior Department is uh, taking action to make three million acres of the Buford Sea in the Arctic uh, Circle off limits. So you can drill over at the North Slope, but you can't go into the Buford Sea. Again, a very treacherous area uh, and a very, very cold so there probably aren't a lot of people who want to be there anyway. And that was uh, that's an Obama-era ban and effectively closing U.S. Arctic waters to oil exploration. In addition to the drilling ban, the government will put forward new protections for more than 13 million acres of ecologically sensitive special areas within Alaska's Petroleum Reserve, the administration said on a statement on Sunday. So it's somewhat confusing, and it'll cover areas known as uh, Teshetpuk Lake, Yukatok Uplands, Colville River, Kasugaluk Lagoon, and Pearl Bay Special Areas. So you give a little here, you give a little there. But it's interesting because I wish I had saved the tape. ABC News did its normal he said, she said, and, and you could tell. And I was watching the reporter from the White House lawn. Basically, their story was, Biden is backtracking on his commitment to the pledge to curb climate carbon. And this is just an an example of how he's a traitor. That was their story. Uh, I think that Biden has released so much now from the petroleum preserves that he knows that if he doesn't do something, he's going to be completely dependent on foreign oil. And that can't be good if a war breaks out. And if you saw over the weekend that Saudi Arabia had $220 billion in profits. I think that's the right number. Highest, most profitable year they've had to date. Why is that? Because the American petroleum is not on the market to the extent that it was under the Trump administration. So Saudi Arabia has been the benefactor, to, as well as Putin, to the American petroleum and the Biden energy policy. So while Jen Cutie Pie Granholm is up there praising China for their efforts to to be more concerned about climate than we are. Meanwhile, uh, the American taxpayer, I will say, I'm glad the gas is at 350. I can live with that. Still a little high, but at least it's not, you know, five five bucks a gallon like it was, you know, a year, or, you know, three months after Biden took over. Uh, and then. You know, we have to look at the fact that we've been dipping into the reserves. Biden has been dipping into our reserves to keep those prices artificially low because he is restricting permits in other areas. 
So this administration seems, I wouldn't say he's waffling as much as it's a, compu- it's a confused message. But I think what it, it indicates, it shows that he's desperate. He knows that he has to keep those gas prices down. If the economy overheats through high energy prices, he's not going to get reelected, nor is the Democratic Party. I mean, my, my goodness, folks, the American people... Are, they're like a Gumby. Remember the old Gumbies? You used to stretch them and you could pull them and then they'd go back. They never break, but they stretch. And that's what's happening in our economy. It is expensive. The, the middle class is shrinking. And it's shrinking fast. And that middle class includes BIPOC uh, and also, you know, Caucasians, everybody, poverty is an equal opportunity offender. And I have always argued that the reason people have contention in their society is not because of race, it's because of poverty. If you ever hang around a bunch of homeless people, you'll see that no matter where they came from, they all get along because they're all equally homeless and they're all equally miserable. As a kid growing up in school, and I don't like to lament on this too much, but it was clear that, you know, poverty was where we were. You could see, you could look at the neighborhood you were in. You could see, oh, I don't live in Beverly Hills. I must be with that, uh, that other group. But, you know, there's, there's a commonality in poverty where nobody's embarrassed because we're all equally poor. That's sort of the trick when you live in poverty. You, you know that all the friends that you hang out with, they're poor too. Their parents don't have a lot. You know, they, may have, they might have a nice car, maybe. Uh, you know, and, and maybe the reason they don't have a lot is because they have to pay a real big amount of money for that that car payment and the insurance and everything else. So, you know, there are people, you can drive down any road in any street in any town, and you might drive in the worst neighborhood, but in parked in that driveway or on the front of that street will be a really nice Cadillac. Or a souped-up something. and Guys like their cars more than their houses, I suppose. Uh, but eat notwithstanding, you know, there are people now paying $1,000 a month for a car payment. And you think they're going to want to pay $5 a gallon? No. So what happens is Biden and his team start looking at the numbers and they realize, uh-oh, we, we got to make sure that prices don't keep going up. Because as they do... And as they get closer, the Republicans will be able to use it as a weapon. And the American people will be, because it's, it's not only just about taxes, which we know are going up. It's about your wallet. So, uh, so it's, it's a mixed signal, really, but it's also a sign of desperation from the Biden administration that he has to do something. And the reserves have to come from somewhere. And why not poach the North Slope. There's nothing there. I've always said Anwar. There's nothing there. Except oil. Except cheap energy. I mean, my goodness. The whole argument for not doing it used to be that we were worried about oil spills, which was a legitimate argument. And that forced the industry to make better pipes. More security enhancements. So that if a pipe was leaking, there was a signal sent. And it could be addressed. That forced the American petroleum industry into being better, whether it was drilling off the coast or whether it was drilling on inland and shale as well. 
We have some of the highest standards in the world. Not like China. China will rape the earth and not care. If you ever talk to a fisherman, uh, an offshore fisherman, ask them how they care about the sea. You see all the junk and dump and, and waste that they toss into the sea every day. They take all a lot of the, the, the human waste off the coastline. Some of the dirtiest waters in the world are in Asia. And it's committed by people who are descendants of Asians or of Asian descent. Yuck, yuck. So there you go. So mixed signals once again from the Biden administration. But are any of us really that surprised? No. Until next time, thanks for joining me on the edition of Speaking Out America. And we'll do it all again. Don't forget, our website is speakingoutamerica.com. Everything starts there. Until next time, 